You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm certified elder law attorney Barbara McGinnis, and joining me today is fellow partner and attorney Chris Johnson. Today, we're sharing another estate planning blunder that happened to one of our families prior to becoming a Takis McGinnis client. This is a cautionary tale of what can happen when you don't consult with an elder law expert. This family's first pressing concern was how to protect dad's house. The attorney they went to suggested putting the house in the kid's name. Yes, that solved one problem. But Chris, do you want to talk about some of the other problems that this created? Oh, it is. I I almost don't want to because it's so painful to talk about. And I actually spoke about this earlier today up in Clarksville. Uh, It is the essence of the problem that they did was they did not mitigate the risk. When the attorney gave them that counsel, they're worried about the risk of losing the home. And so what you want to do as an attorney is you want to take that risk to your client and you want to lessen it. You want to mitigate it. And unfortunately, what this attorney did was they just shifted the risk and they shifted the risk in, frankly, a really poor direction because they shifted it to an adult child and an adult child is more susceptible to a lot of life's issues. And so let me rattle off a couple of them. Divorce. I think that's probably the biggest one I look at is, listen, the marriage that they're in is younger. It hasn't been as lengthy and it is just, you know, the divorce rate in our country can be upwards of 50%. That's a 50-50 proposition. And when you deed that home over to your child, that's their home now. You have made it a gift. And when you record that deed at the Register of Deeds office, that gift is for is for the whole world to see. And I had a I actually had another client who had done this prior to representation, except they did it with 17 different properties. And I remember telling them this. And the response to me was, well, that's not his property. They're not his properties. They're mine. And I said, no, when you deeded them over there, they're his properties. And so you make it you know, available in a divorce proceeding. Heaven forbid they get in some type of accident or otherwise get sued in a personal injury lawsuit or something to that effect. Again, it's one of the adult children's assets. If the adult child, their career hasn't lasted as long. Maybe their financial stability isn't what the parents is. And so they're more susceptible to a bankruptcy should bad financial wins hit them. Uh, Or just something as simple as you have a falling out with your child, which unfortunately in today's society isn't unheard of. Well, that child is the legal owner of the home and they have the authority to do what they want with that home. Obviously, there are some parameters, but what's happened is now that home is vulnerable to a whole bunch of bad events that can happen and to a person 
who is more likely and more susceptible to those bad events. So instead of you just being worried about tin care and long-term care costs, well, now you've shifted it to someone who the likelihood of all these other bad life events is much, much higher. So it's not even that you just shifted the risk. They probably increased the risk of losing this property and they didn't even realize it. Oh, I can think of one thing that you didn't mention what if the child that you've trans that you've conveyed the house to, deeded the house to, dies before the parent does? Oh, that's right. I, sh- I should have mentioned that one. You are absolutely correct. And that can happen. And then guess what? The house isn't going back to the parent. The house is going through that deceased child's estate, which may mean his spouse owns the property now. The so, I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities. It was very tunnel vision approach to solving a problem. It looked very easy, but it was actually created a very complicated situation. Yep. And uh, obviously other things, like when you gift the entire house, uh, you're not retaining even a life estate. You have a completed gift. Well, in theory, a gift tax return should be filed, right? I mean, it's probably yeah. not a probably not a twelve million dollar house where any taxes are going to be owed, but you, you are supposed to file. So there's that. Um, incidentally, this family did not. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk about tax basis when you do a gift like this? Absolutely, and I, I think. Uh, tax basis means more and affects us more here in Middle Tennessee than a lot of places because of how fast the land values are appreciating. And I think we're very fortunate as, you know, people watch the economy with a wary eye and they, you know, see where parts of the country, uh, it might get uh, a little stronger headwinds. Here, we're doing well and and we hope to still do well. And so these property values, the expectation is they're going to continue to increase. Well, you have something when you buy a piece of property called a tax basis. And that tax basis is the value that you paid for for that property. That's your tax basis. And then as you own that property, live on that property, and that property increases in value, you don't have to pay taxes on that increase every year. But when you convert it, when you sell it and convey it to someone else and have converted it back to liquidity, you've realized that gain. And what we call that in the tax world is capital gains. And so as that property value goes up, once it finally gets sold, there's going to be capital gains. Now, if you're the owner, if you're mom or dad and you're living in the home, there's a capital gains exclusion that they can take advantage of and there are are rules pertaining to that. But the problem is if you transfer this to the child and then the child turns around and sells it, two things. One, they step into mom and dad's shoes as far as tax basis. So they get the tax basis if it was gifted to them, the same basis mom and dad had. Well, mom and dad have probably lived there for a long period of time. And so it's already increased a great deal. And none of those tax exposure is going to be mitigated. Whereas if they inherited the home, they get what's called a step up in basis. So they get a new basis assigned at the passing of the second of their parents. So that's the first thing. The second thing is because it was gifted to them, if they never moved in and lived there, 
then they don't get a capital gains exclusion by being their primary residence. And so it's a really rough one-two punch. So let's say they had a hundred, the mom and dad paid a hundred thousand dollars for that home. And then it was worth, let's just say 600,000. Well, that's a 500,000 increase. Well, if mom and dad in uh, both passed away and the adult child inherits that home, they get a new tax basis at $600,000 at the passing of their uh, the second of their parents, their surviving parent. And so if they sold it the next day, they have zero capital gains because their tax basis was stepped up from 100 to 600,000. But if mom or dad gifted it to them, all $500,000 is considered capital gains and they're going to have to pay a hefty sum in taxes, wholly unnecessary. And I, I love the phrase you used earlier, Barbara, when you said, well, they, they did this because it looked easy. And that's, that is the mistake. When something looks easy, it's kind of like that too good to be true. If you're taking a shortcut, you're probably making the wrong decision. And so uh, one of the principles I, people ask me, say, how do I know I'm doing the right thing? And it's like, well, one of the rules of thumb is if it's the harder way. And yes, it takes a little more effort to meet with an attorney and set up a trust, set up good trust planning, set up a will, do whatever uh, manner is going to serve you best. But in the long run, the dividends that are going to pay are just so much higher when you put that little bit of investment and diligence up on the front end, it pays enormous dividends on the back end. I mean, here we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars. And there are lots of families around here that purchased their homes in the 70s and 80s. And going from 100000 to six, $700,000, that's not unheard of. That's fairly common around here. Absolutely. And so those, that's a, a opportunity to pay lots of dollars out in uh, capital gains. So, is there a better way? You know, if this family had come to us on on the front side, um, what would what would we have recommended? We recommended a, a trust of some type, right? Absolutely. Most likely. Most likely. That that would be the general assumption. There's some, you know, small exceptions where there might have been a, a, a different best plan, but for the most part, some type of trust. And that's the biggest thing is you got to have the trust tailored to what your needs are. Uh, are they someone who might be pursuing a VA, VA application down the road? Well, that's going to be one type of trust. Do we have no military service? Well, that might be another type of trust. And you don't want to go to someone uh, who doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, we've, we've run into it recently where someone thought you could change a trust from revocable to irrevocable just by naming it. And we, you know, all those of us in the legal profession know that that's not how that's done. And so you need someone who understands the nuances of not only that you need a trust, but what type of trust, what are the requirements in the trust to make sure it follows all the rules that TINCARE has in place, that the Department of Veterans Affairs has in place so that the planning doesn't cause more harm than good. Oh, wow. Isn't that something to think that you could actually make a situation worse by trying to solve it? And, and, but you can. You can make it oh. worse. 
you can make it a lot where, you know, what's the, the doctor's first charges do no harm. And, you know, some days I think uh, there are some in our profession that need to look at that because it, it really is. If you go in and you don't know what you're doing, you can take a, a bad situation and it can be made worse. And so I, I, it's a, a mantra that we use here over and over again, and that is, always bring in an expert in the field. When someone wants to, you know, deep dive on some of the tax consequences, you know, I, I will talk to them in the general terms, but I will always tell them, please bring in your CPA. Please, you know, we'll have a sit down with your CPA, but let's walk through, let's make sure the left hand and the right hand know what each other are doing, that we're working in concert, but you need to bring in the expert in each discipline and area. And if you go to someone who specializes in a whole lot of different areas, you know, kind of that jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I think you do sometimes put yourself at risk. You want someone who's two inches wide in what they do and two miles deep in breadth of knowledge. And the more complicated your life is, assuredly, the better the expert you need to help you with. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's tax work, bankruptcy work, Medicaid planning, um, those are, they are very specialized areas of law and that change frequently and have significant consequences if you get it wrong. So just, I guess the the little final warning is make sure that you you are working with someone who is truly an expert, which means they have years of experience, special training um, in those areas. And I don't try to give tax advice either. We issue spot for folks and say, this is something that you may want to talk to, whether it's in a tax attorney or um, an accountant that specializes in this area. All right. Well, I think we, we've painted a, a glim p- uh, picture for how you can do things incorrectly and how uh, what a possible solution would have been uh, to better solve the, the initial worry. And I think we'll just end with that. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to Take Us McGinnis. We're a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.